Hi, and welcome to the Killer Sports Picks Special Edition. Today we're going to talk some uh, fantasy football. It's our special edition. We're going to talk about auction, draft, slash keeper leagues. So we're going to get into that in a second. Right now I want to plug our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by New England Fleece. With over 36 years of experience in the outerwear market, they are family-owned and operated. Get a same-day response from Marco, John, or Pete on your personalized embroidery or laser edge fleece. And you can visit them at northeastfleece.com. And also, our other sponsor is Diamond Valley Construction. They're in Southern California. You can reach them at 949 842 And you can visit our website at KillersSportsPicks.com You can follow us on Twitter at KillersSportsPick And let me talk to our special guest. His name is Marco. Marco, how are you doing today? Hey, Killer, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's an honor to have you on uh, Killer Sports Pick today. So we brought you on to talk about uh, some uh, auction draft slash keeper league stuff. Can you give a brief uh, background on how long you've been doing it for and your experience with it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so we've been in a league uh, for coming up on 26 years. It started out as a draft and kind of moved, morphed into an auction. Uh but we have a, a little bit of experience in both formats, for sure. Nice. So for our listeners who don't know, what's the difference between an auction draft and a snake draft? Yeah, so uh, the way a draft works is sort of just like an NFL draft or any other league. Uh, basically, you would bring up a player in turn. And uh, when you bring him up, he's on your team and nobody else can get him. So a snake draft would work in a similar fashion. But the difference between a normal draft and a snake draft is in a snake draft, the order gets reversed each round. So the first round, it starts out with team 1 through 12. In the second round, it goes 12 to 1 and then reverses again and again and again each round. Uh, With an auction it's a lot different than a draft. Basically, an auction is uh, typically there'll be some sort of salary cap. So whatever it is, say $100, or there's going to be a, a figure there. And you need to get your entire roster signed for either that amount or less. Uh, so players will be brought up uh, depending on how you establish an order. And once they're brought up, everybody will have a chance to bid on them until uh, there's only one person uh, left. So whatever that amount is, once that hammer goes down, that person will have that player at that amount. So, so you basically, out of the two, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say you basically have a shot at everybody. Uh, so there's nobody that is brought up and you can't get unless you run out of money. So that's the difference. Out of the two types of uh, drafts, auction and snake, what do you prefer? What, what is the one that you like the most? 
Well, I think so. I think that drafts are easier uh, compared to auctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so auctions could be a lot of fun if you're very involved. But the advantage on a draft is that it's easy. So it's easy for a lot of people, and it makes for a, a quicker and, and, and maybe a little more casual league. Uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily, though. Uh, I think I, all things being equal, I prefer the auction because it gives me a shot at everybody, uh, okay. and I determine their, their work. So, can you explain, too, how a Keeper League worked to our audience, the listeners who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so uh, there you can do a Keeper League in both an auction and a draft. And they, they work in similar but different ways. So, uh, in, a, in a draft, for example, you might say, uh, say you can keep one guy from year to year, uh, and there are various ways of doing that. So, you would either just keep a guy and then just go into the draft. Or there could be, if you keep that guy, you would lose the corresponding pick in the next year's draft. That could either be where you picked him, or it could be if you keep one guy, you lose a first-rounder. And if you have the opportunity for multiple keepers, it could be if you keep two guys, you lose picks in the first two rounds. In auctions, it's a little more difficult uh, because there's a money value associated with that player so if you were to keep a player you may want to make a decision as a league on how to handle that for example if you draft a player for one dollar it might not make sense if your league said you didn't have to raise his salary so you could just keep him indefinitely at one dollar that would be a huge advantage not saying you couldn't do it that way but sometimes a better way is to give him a salary increase uh, every year that he's kept so at some point, it becomes untenable, and you really can't keep them any longer. Uh, so there's some sort of cap on that, that yeah. way. So scoring-wise, um, do you prefer a standard half PPR or full PPR scoring? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I guess that's just sort of personal taste. I would say that... Uh, the way I look at it, I kind of prefer just standard. Uh, PPR is uh, maybe a little more exciting, but we try in, in our league, we try and stay away from double dipping. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're catching a ball, you're getting yardage in our league. And we focus more on that than how many catches, uh, receptions you get. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, maybe that... So it's really just a way of evaluating uh, the worth of players, too. So what a PPR league does is it makes people who catch the ball a little more valuable uh, to everybody else. So it it increases their value. So receivers become more valuable. uh, Tight ends become more valuable. Obviously, uh, running backs that catch a lot of balls become more valuable. Um, Whereas in a standard league, they don't have that advantage. Um, So it's really... I guess it doesn't really matter. It's just a way of how you put a value on players uh, and and what system you want to use to do that. So another option would be to give, and I've seen this done before, a half a point for every rush uh, that a running back gets. And that sort of lifts them uh, in proportion to uh, receivers and tight ends. 
they're at that point, like whatever. So it's a poop PPR league. The position, like the wide receivers, would be more viable than say like yeah, a that, good running back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it, so in order to evaluate it, you really have to take that into account. Myself, I prefer standard, but uh, I can see both ways. They're both fun. So. Okay, and I, I, I know you have a lot of strategies. You're a, you know, your uh, trophy case is filled with a lot of fantasy <laughs> football hardware. But for our audience, what is a good auction draft strategy? Would you pay high money for wide receiver, running back, quarterback, or is it like a year-to-year based on a player? Yeah. Uh, so... I think that's a, a very interesting question. So, and there are a lot of strategies that work, and I've seen seen them work. Um, I think generally, I prefer to cast a wide net. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it depends on what your league mates do. Obviously, uh, if high talent is going for a ton of money, uh, you may want to either consider casting a wide net or follow the herd. Uh, they both will work. What what I prefer to do is to have some money at the end. There are always good players at the end. Uh, I'll see a lot of teammates who will just bid up everybody in their starting lineup uh, and then not so much worry about the filler, so the $1 positional players. And not that they so can't. When you say end, are you talking about the end of the draft, like the later Or round? the end of your finances. So either okay. or. So. So there are people who will just blow through their money early on, and then their last ten players that they need will all have to be a dollar. Uh, so they'll sort of they'll be there late picking over what's left over. Uh, and not that those guys can't work, but if you want to get a sleeper or something like that, you may have to pay two or three, uh, and you'll be out of that. So I, I I prefer not to blow my money on one or two players, but to sort of pay out accordingly to maybe not the top top tier talent but good talent and good backups cool so is it a good strategy to like draft an injured or suspended player for cheap during you know your draft saying they might not play the year you're drafting but they're going to be back the next year maybe grab them for a dollar yeah, absolutely. So, so that's a great strategy, and it, and it depends on how many people have it. So obviously, the more people who are into it, the higher that player will go, and it depends on the talent level of that player. But there are a couple things in play with this, and one is that not only if you're in a keeper league, you get him next year, but he's also trade bait. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if your league has trades uh, and there's a guy like. Uh, say Andrew Luck or somebody like that and you can grab it for a buck uh, then if a team starts to falter down the stretch you may be able to say hey listen you want a, you want a good team next year well give me this guy who's playing well now and I'll give you this guy for later so yeah absolutely it's, uh, it's definitely wise to at least look at those players nice. so in a auction draft is it risky to bid up a player that you don't want to draft? It's crazy risky. <laughs> you really have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, 
the last thing you want on your team is a player who you don't want on your team for more money than you were willing to pay him. That's sort of like psychologically can ruin your draft right there. Yeah. Uh, if, if you, if you want to take that chance to go for it, but it's really risky. And definitely something I would not advise. So I was doing a auction draft and I was told never to throw out a player's name that you don't want. So if like I didn't want, uh, Todd Gurley, and I threw out Todd Gurley for $20. That's risky, or is that a good strategy to bid him up right from the beginning? Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. Uh, I don't, well, you know, depending on what your salary cap, I don't think Todd Gurley at $20 would would ever be risky, or at least not (laughs) this coming season. Um, But... Yeah, you know, players who you don't want, if you throw them out and they're superstars, what you wind up doing is you wind up taking pe- uh, the other players' uh, salary pools down so they will be less likely to go for uh, your players when they're brought up. So that is a good strategy. Nice. So this is uh, always a thing, and it's been growing and growing. It's the sleeper pick. At what point do you grab a sleeper pick and how do you, how low do you bid? I remember we were in the league together and I um, picked up Julius Thomas. I grabbed him mid to late, late uh, rounds and I got him for a dollar. Is that a good strategy for a sleeper pick? Well, it was for you that year for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, a- absolutely. And, and, you know, who who knows what they're going to wind up going for. That was a great pick that year. I thought I had a great one this last year in uh, Alvin Kamara, and I thought mm-hmm. I was going to get him for $3. And turns out there was one person in our league that wasn't sleeping on him, and mm-hmm. the bidding went up to 9 I believe. So what you think may be a sleeper pick going in and what is not when you get in the draft, sometimes it's – there's a little contradiction there, but absolutely, sleeper picks are great. They can they can win a league for you. And that kind of goes with one of the questions I had for you. With all the fantasy football magazines, the shows, the websites, the pros, is a sleeper pick a thing today? Yeah, I, it is, but it's it's just much more difficult. You really have to do your homework. Uh, to get a good sleeper pick or just get extremely lucky. But it really makes sense to do a lot of homework. Um, I know that uh, in the case of Julius Thomas, there just wasn't a lot of information out there. Um, I believe that maybe there was, you know, some people in the know who knew uh, what was going to happen, but the majority did not at that particular point. Uh, Or you Yeah, it was like um, I was listening to like Rocco's training camp, and that's all they showed was Peyton Manning throwing to Julius Thomas constantly, and I was like, wow, that's going to be his guy. So I didn't read anything about him in any fantasy magazines. They actually, in a depth chart on every website, they had him backing up. I forgot who the tight end was that year, but he wasn't the number one tight end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't, and that that was a true sleeper pick. That was just... 
nobody really knew who what would happen with that and he wound up being just exploding on the scene that was great definitely so this is kind of a question that goes within the season what is a good waiver wire strategy yeah that's that's really an excellent question um you know obviously there is the uh you know if a if a player explodes on the scene grab them you know but that i wouldn't really call that a strategy mm-hmm. so my thoughts on waiver wire going in what i try to do year to year is uh is kind of focus on defense and kicker and i know that kind of seems mm-hmm. silly but Typically what happens in a, say, a 12-team league is you may leave the draft with, you know, 12 kickers being selected or, you know, just a a handful of defenses, uh, 12 or 16 or something like that. So there's a lot of talent out there. And, you know, it's the NFL. So from year to year, you're never really sure uh, what's going to happen. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. In week two, I was able to grab Jacksonville's defense off the waiver wire and <laughs> they were for they were pretty much a league winner for a lot of people uh, so there's a lot going on there's a lot of reshaping sometimes there are offenses that weren't very good uh, the prior year uh, that become good so the Rams for example so <laughs> kickers who people don't pick up could actually be you know viable alternatives and and definitely worth you know, a waiver wire or an exchange if you have the wrong one. So I would say as far as strategy goes, I would focus on those two positions, but also, you know, just be aware of trends that are happening with uh, positional players too. So, yeah, I was going to bring up this question, this point. I was in a league where you pay when you pick up players, and I was in a league where you don't pay to pick up players. And it seems like the league where you don't pay to pick up players, people experiment more with uh, grabbing uh, plays off the waiver wire where you pay. I've seen people grab two kickers, two defenses during the draft. So by week, you're not scrambling. What what do you say about that? Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, It depends on the, how deep your pockets are too, I guess. Uh, But yeah, that, that makes sense. If you don't, if you don't want to pay the extra cash and you have to pay for pickups, uh, to leave the draft with two defenses and two kickers, but I will say this: I was, I was never concerned about the fee. Maybe it just wasn't enough for picking up players. Um, but uh, I would still typically try and get a couple of uh, defenses. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, it depends on how deep your rosters are too. And some rosters are so tight you can't carry that, and and others are so big that it kind of makes sense. You know, you take a, a a gamble on what you believe is an up-and-coming defense as your second defense. So, I had a... This is a good question for my buddy. We were Me and my co-host, Jordan Ground Jordan, were talking about this. I had Des Bryant last year. And every year, I, every game, I was saying I was going to do better. going to do better. And he never did. What point do you throw the towel in with one of your starters? Yeah, great question. <laughs> uh, Des Bryant last year was definitely problematic. So he was one of those ones where you would you would hold on to him normally and sort of 
chase it. And, you know, there are a lot of factors at play on when, when to drop a guy. So, you know, for example, um, uh, T.Y. Hilton uh, last year. You know, he wasn't doing well, but he was Andrew Luck dependent. And last year, the news on Andrew Luck was up and down. It wasn't uh, clear cut at the beginning of the year that he wouldn't come back. And it, and it was even murky while the year was going on. So I could see if you had T.Y. Hilton, uh, you know, you were getting okay production. Eh, kind of not for what you, where you drafted him or paid for him. But mm-hmm. but you were you were waiting to see what would happen with Andrew Luck. So it wasn't necessarily dependent on T.Y. Hilton. It was more dependent on uh, Luck. Uh, with, with others like Torrey Smith, um, you know, he was, he wasn't, I wouldn't call him a sleeper because there, were a, there was a lot of uh, talk about him early on. Mm-hmm. But it became really obvious early that he was <laughs> not going to be much. Yeah. So he would have been one who you could have cut the cord with uh, very early, uh, a couple weeks in, whereas people like Bryant, who you probably paid a lot for or drafted high, or T.Y. Hilton, who was linked to luck, that would have been much more difficult, and you would have had to stick with them unless you were able to trade them for you know, something that was worthwhile. But, yeah. So is it more based on how much you pay for a guy, you let him stick around, or how much he his true value is you not based on what you pay for him in a draft. Yeah, so it should be true value. Obviously, it, you know, it should be what he is that year. Uh, but obviously, psychologically, it's much harder if you thought at the beginning of the year that he was going to be really good and he didn't pan out. However, uh, there are some instances where it's obvious that the guy's not going to pan out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that was the case. With Des Bryant, although it became painfully obvious, I guess maybe uh, five or six or seven weeks in, but he had one good game, I think, against San Fran last year, and that was it. Yeah, and when that happens, you're like, okay, he's turned the corner, but uh, (laughs) not always the case. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think money or draft position does at least come into play psychologically. Nice. Do you have anything you want to add? Um. Yeah, so I would say uh, that there are there are some really important things in the auction and the draft, and and I think we touched upon it a little earlier, and that that was the sleeper pick value. I think that there's a lot of evaluations that go out, and like you were saying, there's a lot of magazines, there are a lot of online things. Some are better than the others, and I think it's important to scour them uh, because. You know, what you were saying uh, before uh, about uh, it only being in a place or two is important. It gives you an edge. And if you can get a Julius Thomas uh, for a buck and a sleeper, that could wind up being the edge you need to win the league. So I would I would encourage people to cast a wide net, to listen to a lot of people, and uh, make their own decisions from there. But I think that's important. Awesome. Mark, I want to thank you for giving us your time, and uh, we're definitely going to have you on again. Thank you, and really appreciate your uh, strategy and everything you had to say. So, visit us again at killersportspicks.com. Follow us on Twitter, 
and throughout the year we're going to have Mako back on. I hope so. Do you agree, Mako? Yeah, I loved it. It's a lot of fun. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks a lot, and we're out.